Gather round, boys and girls, pull up a chair. I have a story to tell you. Once upon a time, there was a man named Jeff David. I know what you're saying. That name sounds made up, but I assure you, it's not. Stick with me. See, because Jeff David was the chief revenue officer of the Sacramento Kings. So Jeff David served in this role from 2011 to 2017. Six years. And before that, he had other roles with the team, but they were always in the realm of sponsorships. See, what happens in a basketball arena, as you probably are quite aware, is that signage is put up everywhere. There are sponsors of all sorts. Food places, fast food places, hospitals, all sorts of things. Golden One, a credit union. Now in Sacramento, one of the things that happened was Jeff David, charged with securing these sponsorship deals for the team, found a sportswear company that wanted to put up some signage in the arena. He took payment from that team, $30,000 roughly, and when payment was issued, he funneled it into his own account instead of the Sacramento Kings. Now, $30,000 may seem like a lot of money, certainly does to me, but in the realm of professional sports, it's but a drop in the bucket. The grift was on. Jeff David got more aggressive in his duplicity And the next step was to defraud Kaiser Permanente, who signed a deal for $28 million to sponsor the new training facility of the Sacramento Kings. Now, deals like this oftentimes have escalators, an extra amount paid each year that accounts for things like inflation or increased costs. Well, David asked Kaiser if they would add $4.5 million on the front end in lieu of an escalator, and Kaiser agreed. And back in 2015, David invoiced the company on Sacramento King's letterhead. But the money went into the account of a shell company he owned, Sacramento Sports Properties. Boom! Second-level grift there. But it didn't end at that point. You see, David continued his corrupt practices. Next up was Golden One. Golden One, you recognize them. You saw their logo on the floor tonight as the Cavaliers fell to the Kings, which we will get to. But please, just hang in till the end, I promise. It's going somewhere. So, Jeff speaks with Golden One. A deal is in place for them to sponsor the arena. $110 million. But what Jeff does is, when they come to terms on this deal, he re-engages Golden One and says, You know what? If you add $9 million to the payment on the front end, I'll provide you with more favorable terms on the back end of this deal. And Golden One says, sure, let's do that. However, that $9 million did not end up with the team. It ended up with Jeff David. Now, Jeff David had built the team out of, what, $13 million at this point? And what did he do with all that money, you might wonder? Well, Jeff David owns several lovely homes. Manhattan Beach, Southern California, Miami, which is where he went in 2018. For six years, he had swindled the Sacramento Kings of millions of dollars. And for whatever reason, he departed to take his talents to South Beach. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, no, this man couldn't possibly be stupid enough to leave behind a trail of his own criminal behavior 
and take a job with another team that, while I'm sure he got a hefty raise from the 360000 he was paid with the Kings, I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that he didn't get a raise that would cover $13.5 million worth of extra money that he provided himself while on the job with the Kings, but who knows? Maybe he turned a corner. Maybe it's like all those movies where you see the people say, ah, just one more heist, and then I'm going to retire and enjoy my time on South Beach. Guess we'll never know. Because Jeff David is not with the Miami Heat as of now. You probably can guess where this is going. The person charged with taking over back in Sacramento, the head of the Human Resources Department, discovered the discrepancies in all the bookkeeping. And from there, that led to the FBI getting involved. And where it sits now is prison. Jeff David is serving seven years. His wife, his three kids, they await his exit from the uh, federal penitentiary. I don't know where, but that is not of consequence. What is of consequence is that a crime took place at Golden One Center, and I thought that it was the worst crime I had ever heard of as far as white-collar criminals go. But then I watched that referee call a moving screen on Evan Mobley, and I realized we've all been victimized yet again. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Yeah! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavs fan and captain of this Titanic two-game losing streak ship that the Cavaliers are on. Now, I was kidding about the refs for the most part. Don't get me wrong. That Mobley call was atrocious. It did feel like a huge momentum swing. And from that point in the fourth, things just didn't go our way. But I'm not actually blaming the officials. Harrison Barnes could have easily got a continuation foul on that Kevin Love blocking foul, but he did not. And the refs, it was not a reviewable play, so that didn't work out for them. Let's not begin with officiating. There's been a lot of that in the past couple days. The league's two-minute report revealed that, yes, the officials did, in fact, make several fuck-ups in the Clippers game that probably would have led to a victory there. One being the Reggie Jackson foul on Darius Garland that they called, well, the other way. And then the Paul George contest on Jared Allen that was clearly a foul that went uncalled. Didn't get that. Didn't get this one. Sent this team to the line 35 times. They made 30 free throws. That's absolutely ridiculous. You can't expect to weather that storm. Let's focus on the positives, though. What should we feel good about as Cavs fans? Well, I have a couple thoughts there. The first is Donovan Mitchell. Again, a brilliant night in terms of scoring. After tonight's 38 points, Donovan Mitchell is now third in the league in scoring, sitting behind only Luka Doncic and Steph Curry. He finished the night with 38 points, five rebounds, four assists, shot 16 for 28 from the floor, that's 57%, and chipped in six three-pointers. Not his most efficient night. 43% is great by any metric. It's just not 8 of 11, which is what he gave us last game in that loss to the Clippers. Now, of particular brilliance for Donovan Mitchell was the third quarter in which the Cavs came out of the locker room trailing by 11. 
Behind Donovan Mitchell's brilliant play, they just chipped away, chipped away at that lead. Little tiny runs. Five-point run. Okay, they answer with two. Oh, another four points for the Cavs. Okay, they answer with a free throw. And by the end of the quarter, the lead was down to four. It felt like, okay, here's where we put this team away. That did not manifest. But Donovan Mitchell, in the third quarter, 17 points of his 38 points. A perfect 7 for 7 from the floor. 3 for 3 from outside the arc. And here's the thing. That Cavs team, I don't know that I even realized it at the time. I knew the Cavs were scoring on basically every possession. But they went 15 for 17 in the third quarter. 5 for 6 from outside. Now, if there was a blemish in the third quarter, and this kind of carried over to the game as a whole, it's that the Cavs had seven turnovers. Turnovers were a big problem tonight. 18 turnovers on the night versus that of the Kings, who only turned the ball over nine times, and that felt like a factor throughout the game. There were a lot of lob passes that were just not there tonight. I think most people felt like Darius Garland did not have his best night, and he's struggled a bit, mostly with the outside shot in this West Coast road trip. He's now just 6 for 22, which for those of you who just want the percentage, that's 27%. But I think something that might benefit Darius Garland is he'll get to play against Steph Curry, a man who has praised him. What better guy to show out for than the person who many people compare you as a poor man's version of? I don't say that to slander Darius, but we did just watch Steph Curry drop 47, 8, and 8, so he deserves his credit. Is in the MVP conversation, Darius Garland, looking to get back into the all-star conversation. But yes, to tonight, just a woeful night from Garland, who shot one for nine overall. Karis LeVert, clearly the second bright spot for the Cavs tonight. 21 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, and he did it fairly efficiently. Shot 50% from the floor. And his defense, I thought was excellent. Had a couple of steals to go along with that. LeVert picked up a lot of the scoring load. And he put forth a good effort in and of his own right. Jared Allen, again, consistent as they come. 20 points, 7 rebounds, Mobley with 16 and 6. And both guys fairly efficient inside. It's sort of shocking that the Cavaliers lost this game. Because if I told you the final numbers, the Cavs shot 54% from the floor. They shot 42% from 3. They had 12 offensive rebounds to 2 for the Kings. Nine offensive rebounds in the first half to zero for the Kings. And still, they were not able to hold off the Sacramento Kings. The Kings had seven guys chip in double-digit points. Sabonis led the way with 21-5-6. and And what really got him involved in the game was drawing fouls on our guys. He got to the line 12 times. I was hopeful in that first quarter. They got him for two quick fouls. But the Kings played through it. They didn't pull him. And he managed to curtail his fouling, and this was the result. So while the Kings may not have traditional rim-protecting big men, they did a pretty good job of rendering ours as non-factors. And the entire team, just Jared Allen, he's the only one who logged a block, had one single block. Sabonis is excellent for what he lacks in vertical jumping ability. He makes up for in deft post moves and incredible patience. Harrison Barnes, a man who all day long I've heard maligned. As you know from the last podcast, I spent a significant amount of time 
looking at Kevin Herter and his impact on this squad since he's come over. He had a fairly quiet night tonight. He did score 14 points, but most of those were at the stripe. He wasn't what killed the Cavs tonight. Trey Lyles was surprisingly effective tonight. Now, this was a guy who was cast out in Detroit. Too much overlap with Kelly Olynyk last year. And towards the end of the season, they offloaded him. They offloaded Josh Jackson over to Sacramento to get Marvin Bagley. Trey Lyles has stuck around. I will say this about Trey Lyles. I've always felt like he's basically overlooked in a league that loves stretch bigs. And he's pretty serviceable. 16 points tonight, 4-7 from outside, and of course, a dagger at the end of the third quarter when he made that three. The Cavs had whittled the lead down. They got it down to one point. They were right there. And then he nailed that three to stretch it to four. And in the fourth quarter, well, we all saw what happened. Second loss. And now we got to face the Warriors, who are reeling. And with our luck, they'll finally put together a good performance. And, and not, I shouldn't say... None of them have performed well. It's been a lot of Steph Curry. Poole's been pretty bad. Clay's been pretty awful. People aren't happy with Wiseman. I just don't have a good feeling about it. I hope I'm wrong, but all these guys can't possibly keep struggling forever. At some point, it seems like the Warriors are going to figure things out and turn it around. Now, before we move on to the Warriors, I just wanted to bring it back to Harrison Barnes for just a moment, because outside of the context of this game, This is a man who I've seen discussed just recently as a possible trade option, as a way to offload a Coro and bring in a better two-way player. Harrison Barnes is having a horrible season. Coming into tonight, in nine games prior to this Cavalier game, Harrison Barnes was averaging 10 points and five rebounds while shooting 37% from the floor and 17% from three. His defensive effort had been lacking. He's on an expiring contract, which is fairly large, $18 million. And there has been a lot of talk of just offloading him. Get rid of Harrison Barnes. The man is too many shots, too inefficient, and just a shell of what he was when he got that giant extension of four years and $85 million. Now, Harrison Barnes makes substantial enough money that a one-for-one trade is all but impossible. We're not sending Levert. Okoro would have to be bundled with Osman and some other pieces. Harrison Barnes is already 30, so he doesn't exactly line up with the core of this team. And Okoro is locked in for both this year and next year. So as frustrating as it is that Okoro has not put it all together, they still have almost two full seasons to just see where it goes. And then, at that point, if he somehow has reached his potential, they can extend the qualifying offer. But I'm not anticipating that, because I certainly don't think he's a guy who will warrant extending a $12 million qualifying offer to, at least not at this point. But there's also the very real possibility that just keeping a Coro on the books next year will give them some trade possibilities with his nearly $8 million deal. Having those types of mid-range deals that are movable are exceptionally useful for a team. And whether that's Levert or Osman or Love this year or Lowry Markinen, his deal, in that Donovan Mitchell trade was critical. If you have some larger money, but not essential to your core deals, and a coral will become that next year, $8 million is nothing to sneeze at. Those are often the figures that help balance larger maneuvers. It could become completely irrelevant what he's able to provide on the court. 
a team could just acquire him to make the money work and then waive him. But if he's not on your roster, you don't have that possibility. So if you exchange two years of remaining contract for just this remaining season of Barnes, there is a risk there. If the Cavs decided to make a legitimate play for Barnes, I think that's them acknowledging that the war chest is empty. We don't have picks. We can bundle with a Coro's contract to get an upgrade. So we're just going to throw whatever we can at the Kings and hope that their desire to rebuild will make them sell Barnes as a distressed asset. But I do think that there would be other teams in the mix that would certainly outbid the Cavs. And I don't even know that there's enough separation that we wouldn't end up just feeling like we added a better player to what is already a platooned position. If we were to make a trade where we gave up three for one, it has to be a significant upgrade. And that's not to say that Barnes isn't. I like Barnes. I think it's very easy to just say he's a better player than a Coro. I'm not excited by the move, is all. And I don't think we really have anything that makes it attractive from the King's perspective. I think there's some red flags. I think the Cavs could easily be outbid. I don't think Okoro is a very attractive developmental prospect for the Kings or any team at this point. And I think possibly the Cavs front office might view Okoro as someone who has more value because he gives you two years of a movable seven to eight million dollar contract. Best case scenario, he actually develops and works his way back into the rotation. But if not, you didn't get a half a season of Barnes. It's not a lot of risk for them. So that's enough trade talk for a team that's 8-3 and three for the moment. But the way that I maligned Norman Powell before last game and then he ended up helping lead the Clippers to a victory, it's pretty similar to how I feel about Harrison Barnes. He has stunk it up, but this has got to be his floor, right? And that very much applies to Clay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors because they are very much in a bad stretch of the season. They look horrible. And nobody expected this from a defending champion. Certainly, I don't take it for granted that veteran teams who know that they can win, who are just waiting for the playoffs, will always try during the regular season, but this does not seem to be a product of effort. Some of these players have seriously stepped backwards in their development or their consistency or their performance. Steph Curry, incredible. MVP candidate. If anything, he's been dragging this team along in a way where they would not even be as good as they are right now without him. And that's pretty bad. They're 12th in the West. They sit at 4-7 and seven heading into this game against them in San Francisco on Friday night. But teams ahead of them that you would not expect to be, well, for one, the Sacramento Kings. They should have beat the Golden State Warriors, by all accounts. The Timberwolves, who are struggling. The Rudy Gobert trade does not look good at this moment. The surprising San Antonio Spurs, who despite losing five games in a row, are still a game up on the Golden State Warriors. And then we get into the teams that everybody expected to be good. The Pelicans, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, so on and so forth. Up to the top of the conference, Lowry Markinen and the Utah Jazz are the first double-digit win team, sitting at 10-3. and And just a quick aside, Lowry Markinen, 32 points, six three-pointers, two big clutch threes in the fourth quarter, and an offensive rebound that he put back to seal it and knock off the Atlanta Hawks, which is very useful to this Cleveland Cavaliers squad because they are right on the heels of the Cavs. Right now, it goes the Bucks, it goes the Cavs and the Celtics tied, and then we have the other teams, the Hawks and the Raptors, so on and so forth. Back to the Warriors. 
A lot of struggles from guys expected to do big things. Jordan Poole, he who was punched in the face by one Draymond Green, it seems that Draymond perhaps has punched the efficiency right out of him because he is shooting 40-30 splits. That is not good for an electric score like Jordan Poole. 15 points a game, very respectable. You know who else scores 15 points? Clay Thompson, and he does it on 36-33 splits. That's right, 15 attempts per game. Not only is Clay Thompson shooting horribly and efficiently, but he's second on the team in attempts. That probably should not happen. Last year in the playoffs, it seemed pretty evident that Andrew Wiggins was perhaps the best option to go to, and he's been respectable this year, the second leading scorer, 18 points a game, doing nearly 50 and 40. Draymond's been okay, as much as I hate to say that, doing his usual triple single, but doing it efficiently, shooting over 60% from the floor. The problem seems to be that a lot of the youth has not developed in the way that one would expect it to. James Wiseman, who they've been force-feeding minutes to, I hear nothing but negative things about him. Don't feel alone in your frustrations with Okoro because there are plenty of people in this league who get taken with high picks and they just don't pan out. And in hindsight, looking back at what Okongwu did the other night and their win over the Bucks, he was the other big in that draft with Wiseman. And he slid to the lower part of the top 10. But my goodness, would he look much better than what Wiseman is looking at in Golden State right now. You can find those failures all over the league. So if they hit on Moody, and if Kuminga eventually works his way back into a larger role, then two out of three ain't bad. But so far, the return has not been what we were promised by people like Cowherd, who said that they had the best young trio in the league and that this team is just a team that knows how to operate and build. Well, everybody feels that way when things are going good. But how's the saying go? Everything's great until you get punched in the mouth. Well, they've definitely been punched in the mouth, literally and figuratively. I have just one more thing I wanted to touch on. The NBA MVP. And you probably think I'm going to talk about Donovan Mitchell here, but that is not the case. He is presently the third favorite, according to basketball reference, to win MVP. A 4.5% probability. But I want to play a guessing game with you, a trivia game, if you will. What if I told you that a man who the following was said about is currently the ninth favorite to win NBA MVP. I'm going to play you the comments. You look at this trade. Not a very good player. Replace him. He's fine. He's a rotation he's, player. He's not a very good player. He was also playing small forward on their team, which is insane. It was insane the entire time. They replaced a average or below average player. With he's not below average. He's an average player. Fine. I mean, I, whatever. He's not very good. Were you able to solve the mystery? Do you know who that bleeped out comment referred to? It referred to former Cleveland Cavalier, now Utah Jazz member, ninth overall in the MVP award tracker on basketball reference, Lowry Markinen. I leave you with the audio. Please rate, subscribe to the episode if you like it. I appreciate everyone who listened. We'll have more Fear the Fro podcast. But right now, just take a victory lap. RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin aren't anywhere near the top 10 in the MVP rankings. They're not 10 and 3 in the Western Conference. They're not led by an MVP candidate. So tell me again how the Cavs didn't put together a good trade offer. Okay? All right. Soak it in. Let it pour over you like water washing away these two consecutive losses, leading us to a victory Friday night against the Golden State Warriors. Thank you for listening.
Bob Schmidt, Fear the Fro Podcast. You look at this trade. The Cavs from last year's team took Lowry Marketing, not a very good player. Replace him. He's fine. He's a rotation he, player. He's not a very good player. He was also playing small forward on their team, which is insane. It was insane the entire time. They replaced Lowry Marketing, a average or below average player, with Donovan Mitchell. He's not below average. He's an average player. Fine. I mean, I whatever. He's not very good. Levert, this has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.